The history of Star Wars is the history of cinema. For everything you like about Star Wars, there is at least one film that inspired it. And we're going to review them all on Episode Zero. Welcome back to episode zero. It's the Star Wars podcast where we don't really talk about Star Wars. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a film critic. And everybody calls me Whitney Seibold. Because that's his name. That's my name. And uh, yeah, here at episode zero, we talk about the movies that inspired Star Wars. Not so much about Star Wars itself, because Star Wars, the original Star Wars, and indeed all the Star Wars is that came in its wake. So many wars. They're, uh, they really are just a big bowl of potpourri. They just take everything that the various filmmakers liked, put it in a bowl, and said, hey, whiff this! And everyone was like, "Wee!" And uh, it was great. That, that's stuff that fell off trees. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Star Wars is more so than many other movies, uh... A cacophony of various influences, and if you use Star Wars and you pick it apart, and you look at all the influences that went into Star Wars and all the various other Star Warses, you can really learn a lot about film history. So, that's what we're doing, and mm-hmm. that's the purpose of this show, and we've already done a lot of classic films, a couple of weird films, experimental films, and uh, today, we're talking about a film that is more popular than Star Wars. And it has been said that this is the most viewed film in history. So yeah, George Lucas saw it. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> his, I, his, I, yeah. I would be shocked. I haven't met anybody who hasn't seen it. Mm. Like it maybe once or twice as a kid and they don't really remember it that well, but everybody's seen it. I, I will I have a weird history with this, but let's just dive right in. To the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Imagine you're over the rainbow in a fantastic land of tiny people half your size and yellow brick roads that can lead anywhere. A land of flying monkeys and the Wicked Witch of the West. A land of danger and excitement. And fun. Follow the yellow brick road and find the wonderful Wizard of Oz. We're off to see the wizard. A scarecrow that dances, a lion that sings, a tin man that talks, a wizard that whizzes, and Dorothy, and you. Wizard of Oz. Imagine. Imagine. 
<laughs> I love that. That trailer is from one of the many re-releases of Wizard of Oz. Mm. Before the days of home video, if you wanted to see a movie, you might see it on television. But, you know, if you missed it, you missed it. So they would re-release popular films over and over again in theaters. Wizard of Oz was re-released constantly. Even after the advent of home video. Yeah. Um, you know, six, it's an event. 65th, 70th, 75th anniversary. They would re-release it. They'd remaster it and they'd re-release it. I remember when it, it was like the late 90s. Mm. I think it was, it was 99. Okay. So it was for its 60th anniversary. Mm. They did this big remastering and they re-released it in theaters. And it, and it played. Mm. Uh, oh, I was, yeah. I was, working, I was working in a movie theater when it came out. And yeah, like I would go in and watch bits of it. But it was pretty well it was sold. It never sold out, but it sold really well. It did good. Throughout like a really extended period. So... I feel like The Wizard of Oz is one of those things that kind of goes beyond nostalgia. <laughs> this isn't something, oh, this is something I remember from you know, it being a kid. If it had been, well, I was going to say people would be mining it constantly for like offshoots, but that does happen constantly. It so, does. Um, but I think this is something that is, nostalgia aside, legitimately beloved by everyone who sees it. It's not a movie that, that like doesn't hold up well. It mm. holds up really great. And yeah, some of the visual effects might be a little naive today. A lot of them are actually really damn good today. Mm. Uh, the Wizard of Oz, if you're new to it, if you're young, uh, L. Frank Baum dire- uh, uh, directed, directed, wrote, wrote <laughs> he was a novelist, uh, he wrote a series of stories set in the wonderful land of Oz. Mm. And these books were incredibly popular and beloved. Uh, they had been adapted once before. Technically, the 1939 Wizard of Oz that we're talking about today, technically it's a remake. Because there was a silent version that came before. Right. They made well, the, it. They the made movie, it again. Uh, remake. The movie or the book came out in uh, 1900. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many Oz books had been put oh. into publication by 1939? I actually because don't even know. Alfred Baum made prolific. a bunch of Oz books. And in fact, I've had them all read to me. Uh, the Wizard of Oz books were a, a staple of my grandmother. Oh. And Sundays, my parents would drop m- me and my sister off at my grandmother's house. And they'd go off and do grown-up things. Mm. Probably just want some peace. Yeah. And my my grandmother would read us from her collection of Oz books. So see, I had a very different experience with the Wizard of Oz growing up. A lot mm. of people have read the books, or mm. at least have seen the movie, and they'd seen it so many times. And it's a beloved family stable. Oh, we watch it every year on Memorial Day or something. Mm. My mother wouldn't let the Wizard of Oz in the house. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I didn't see The Wizard of Oz until I was 18 years old. And then I saw the the Dark Side of the Moon version where he, he put over uh, the Pink Floyd album and it mm. syncs up weirdly. And we can talk about that a little bit later okay. maybe. But um, I wasn't introduced to The Wizard of Oz as a child. I saw it mm. as an adult. And as an adult, you have a slightly different response. I'm sure if I'd seen it when I was very young, I would have been completely enchanted. I would have never seen anything like it. But by the time I saw Wizard of Oz, I had seen a ton of the stuff that the Wizard of Oz had inspired. I'd heard a lot of the music the Wizard of Oz had inspired. I'd seen a lot of costumes that it had inspired. So it was kind of like this podcast. It's just, oh, that's where that comes from. Yeah, Yeah. You know? So it was interesting, and I like it a lot, but I've actually only seen it a couple of times. 
All right. I, it's that's, weird. That's fine. Not everybody, yeah, yeah in jo- you know, mainlines the popular well, stuff. Well, usually I, my mom I'm, was really good about that stuff. She made me see all the classics when I was young, but I was the same. This one's I, a weird case. I she was, was afraid of the flying monkeys. To, but that's understandable. That's Those things didn't are nightmarish. Like yeah. um, I was the same way about Star Wars itself. Yeah. I had seen all of the references. I saw the storybooks. I even had some of the toys, but I didn't actually watch the movies until I was out of high school. There you go. I was 18 years old. Just they never came into my field of vision. We have this assumption that popular culture, like the stuff that's mega popular, mm. is something that everybody knows and is familiar with. And that's just not everybody's journey, man. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, Wizard of Oz. I have an odd relationship to it, but no, it's a wonderful film. Uh, the L. Frank Baum wrote fourteen Oz books in all. Um, the last one was published in nineteen twenty. So all of these Oz books were out in the world yeah. by the time the nineteen thirty nine feature film had come out. The nineteen thirty nine feature film, very bad adaptation, and actually doesn't bear too like. A lot of the fantasy world of Oz and the characters are all taken from the Oz books, but the story and the actual details are all drastically altered. For example, most people know by now that in the movie The Wizard of Oz, the 1939 movie, uh, Dorothy Gale, played by, of course, uh, the great Judy Garland, she's a young girl. She lives on a farm in Kansas during the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl. Uh, and uh, yeah, she has a little bit of adventure. We'll talk about the whole plot in a minute. She is rocketed away by. A, a tornado. A tornado. Thank you. I almost said a hurricane. I knew that was wrong. She's rocketed away by a tornado and taken to the to the land of Oz, where her world sure. turns from sepia to color. And she goes on an adventure. She kills a witch. She meets a, uh, all these wonderful creatures. And at the end, she learns that there's no place like home. And she clicks her heels. And in the movie, she wakes up. Mm. And it was all a dream. That is not in the books. Imagine. <laughs> imagine. You watch Harry Potter. <laughs> And the Philosopher's Stone, or mm. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Or get, or get to the end of all eight eight yeah. of the movies with Harry Potter. And them. you find out that the filmmakers thought, that's eh, kind of stupid. We're just going to say that was a dream. Mm. There'd be rioting in the streets if we found out at the end of Avengers Endgame, it was all a fantasy had by Steve Rogers, and he was mm. just writing sci-fi stories in the 40s. People would be furious mm. if that was the legit, actual ending. But... Wizard of Oz did it, and people like it better now. Yeah. <laughs> because it stuck around, because it was so damn good, and it works that way. Mm. It works wonderfully that way. Does it, though? We'll discuss it. I like yeah. it, but right. there's, there's, I can certainly appreciate So you're a fan of all the books. I've actually never read all the books. Okay. So we're coming at it from slightly different angles, but I think it works as a film. So oh, it works fine as a film. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's... It's not like the books. Uh, if you're looking for a film that is like the books, uh, in 1986, mm. they made a sequel to The Wizard of Oz, one of the many times they did it, uh, mm. called Return to Oz. It is the only film ever directed by Walter Murch. Walter Murch was one of the people who redefined sound design in motion pictures. He was also an editor. He works on Apocalypse Now. He is the sound designer that George Lucas wanted for Star Wars and couldn't get. And that's why we got Ben Burt, who helped redefine sound design with Star Wars. So, but, odd little connection. They, there. Didn't, they didn't know it was going to be a, a hit at the time. But, no. um, well, he but was yeah, just busy. Uh, He'd already had an assignment. If you happened. look at, not, not just, the tone of the thing is really kind of nightmarish. There have been a lot of people our age who watched Return to Oz when they were kids, yep. because it is a kid's film, but it is kind of surreal. It's got some a lot of scary monsters in oh, it. Yeah. There's the like Gnome severed King head, is terrifying. Severed heads in jars, you know, a lot of really scary things for yeah. kids. So a I lot loved of kids, it. Oh, I, I loved it too. I loved it. I saw it before <clears throat> I saw The Wizard of Oz. 
I loved every frame. I think that movie is a masterpiece. <laughs> and it looks like the W.W. Denslow illustrations that accompanied uh, mm. L. Frank Baum's original book. Huh. Uh, like you look at uh, when we finally see the, the Tin Woodman and the Scarecrow at the end, they look like the illustrations. They do, right? yeah. Kind they don't look at the versions of them. That confused me the first time I saw it because although mm. I had never seen The Wizard of Oz, I got the gist of it. Yeah. Like I'd seen pictures and maybe a clip here or there. Mm. But uh, yeah, so I was confused when I saw the end of Return to Oz and they looked different. But yeah, they, you're right, mm. they came from the books. But uh, the production of The Wizard of Oz was, uh, you look it up, this is a very well-known story. It was kind of a tortured one. It passed through the hands of five or six different directors. I want to actually go through it because uh, w- when we talk about film production, and there's mm. this little thing we like to call auteur theory. It's mostly bullshit. But uh, oh, it was it was uh, Cinema that, that yeah. uh, posited that the film's director is should be considered its author, its the final one, author, the one who has like final say as to what this thing is. That's not some, strictly some people, true. Some people have said that the the final author should be the screenwriter because mm-hmm. they're the ones who perhaps came up with the big idea. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, film mm-hmm. is a collaborative medium, and although there are certainly some filmmakers who have a direct and guiding hand in every single element of the production and have final cut. It's actually very few. Mm. There are some filmmakers who do seem to have a personal stamp they put on everything. I think you could maybe apply auteur theory to people like Alfred Hitchcock, Orson Welles, Wes Anderson, etc. People have very particular styles and themes that go throughout all of their work. Mm. But... um, and, and indeed, George Lucas is someone that we uh, attribute this to as well. He is considered the author of Star Wars, even the films he didn't make, mm. at least until Disney got around to it. He was a, a very hands-on producer. He was the guiding force behind well, it. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not always the director. It's um, not always the director. My the, point the, is The that. Avengers movies, a lot of people have said that it's, it's not, not even necessarily Kevin Feige, that it's like the studio yeah. that is the auteur of those. Perhaps. Uh, but in the case of The Wizard of Oz, it, it seems very tempting to like, oh, it's Victor, Victor Fleming's The Wizard of Oz. Victor, Victor Fleming's a very well-respected director. The was, year that the, the Wizard of Oz came out, he also directed Gone with the Wind, which won Best Picture. He's a great director. It must be his movie. It is kind of not, because... He's the credited director. Yeah, this this movie, if this movie came out now, it's production, like... It'd rumors reported on like throughout Twitter for people months would be, and months. People yeah. would be cu- saying this is going to be the biggest disaster since John Carter. Mm. Because, oh, I've heard so many horrible things happen on set. Here's the line of directors. <laughs> okay. It started off with director, and bear in mind, this is in development for many years. Mm. But when they started filming, they started off with director Norman Taurog. Uh, Norman Taurog, uh, who did Skippy. Yeah, Norman yeah. Skowrig was the and, youngest and also, um, uh, best picture win- uh, best director winner in Oscars history until Damien Chazelle won for La La Land in the 1930s. He also did one that we just talked about on uh, Only the Best. He did Boys Town. Yeah, very very mm. good director. I'm a, I'm actually a fan. Uh, he actually only filmed a few early tests, and then the studio gave him another gig. They mm. decided to go another direction, uh, and then it went over to Richard Thorpe, who did some shooting. Did uh, did some stuff that I think ended up in the movie. Mm. Or some stuff uh, uh, he did stuff with Buddy Ebsen as uh, the Tin Man. He did a lot of stuff in the Wicked Witch's Castle. Uh, and then it went uh, to it went to Q Corps at some point. Well, right? it went to Q Corps at the end. Oh, right. and then what happened was uh, there was some recasting, some major changes done. Uh, the originally Judy Garland was going to be blonde and was made up to look even younger than she was because she was supposed to be playing a very young girl. Uh, I think Mervyn Laura, the producer, wanted Shirley Temple to play uh, to play Dorothy Gale. It was between, uh, it's my understanding, it was between Judy Garland, 
Mm. Shirley Temple, who was the biggest young star in the world at the time. And Deanna Durbin, who is a name that uh, most people don't remember nowadays, but was a huge star in the late 1930s. She had a very operatic singing voice, and she's in some really wonderful films we reviewed on our podcast, Only the Best, on Patreon. Uh, if you ever get a chance to see, was it 100... 100 guys and a girl uh, 100 men and a girl 100 men and a girl uh, it is a story about a young girl who is trying to find work for an entire out of work symphony orchestra and, and keeps on is, bugging Leopold Stokowski played by himself yeah it is delightful and nobody talks about it and you should totally check out that movie you'll have a really good time Deanna Durbin is awesome and I firmly believe as iconic as Judy Garland was Either of them would have been really good. It would have been a different movie. Yeah, well... I think Shirley the, Temple the, I, was a much younger persona. And Deanna Durbin, I, I think, was a little older in her sort of portrayals. But it would have been good. And, and even Judy Garland was a little old for Dorothy Gale. Yeah, I think the to, book is like nine or ten. Yeah, uh, yeah. They had to play that down a little <laughs> bit. Uh, and then what happened was Victor Fleming did the majority of uh, uh, the shooting. George Cukor, uh did some stuff in the middle. I think he was the one who sort of rerouted Judy Garland's performance to make her look more natural, use her original hair color, that kind of thing. And then after Victor Fleming uh, was the replacement director for George Cukor in Gone with the Wind <laughs> and did most of the shooting, he had to go off and do Gone with the Wind and the movie hadn't quite been finished yet. Uh, King Vidor mm. did the last bit of shooting. That's a ton of directors ton for a movie. Directors. That is a messy production. It's amazing it works the, uh, at all. The way the screenplay passed from hand to hand, like Ogden Nash had a hand in it. Just a lot mm -hmm. of really famous screenwriters were brought on to work on it. A lot of details changed along the way. And then casting changed as well. Yeah. Uh, the Tin Woodman was uh, played by Jack Haley, who is in um, oh, oh. Alexander's Ragtime, Ragtime Band, ah. uh, another film we just talked about on, on our uh, Oscars podcast. Uh, was brought on to play the Tin uh, the Tin Woodman. Mm -hmm. uh, originally, it was Buddy Absin, uh, Buddy Ebsen, uh, who is perhaps best was, known now as the father from the Beverly Hillbillies. Mm -hmm. But when he was young and spry, was an incredible dancer. He was a, a great vaudeville performer. Oh my and god, he was they, talented. They put him in the makeup. They even filmed a few tests with him. But yeah. evidently, he was allergic to the the tin in the makeup because the makeup yeah. was the makeup toxic like crazy back the, then. The makeups were toxic. Mm -hmm. They used actual metals many of which were genuinely toxic the makeup on the wicked witch uh uh who by the way is margaret hamilton margaret hamilton, yeah. margaret hamilton god i love margaret hamilton she's so damn great uh margaret, rather infamously a teacher yeah margaret hamilton her green makeup was also full of like toxins and metals and things, and uh, when a when an effect went wrong and like her she, face she got to, burned, they had yeah, to use acetone to remove the makeup, and that just made the burns worse yeah. and it delayed production. And God, she, this production she, uh, was hell. She had to uh, the she was, plays the Wicked Witch of the West. She had to vanish in a puff of smoke, and she uh, you can see it in the movie. It's actually a pretty obvious effect how she moves over to her cue, and you see like the the trap door open around her, so you yeah. see the the smoke the colored smoke yeah. kind of billow up, and she was supposed to sink down you can actually see her hat going down underneath she's mm. sinking below the stage and then when she vanished they did this big plume of smoke but her head hadn't cleared it yet and that plume of smoke was what burned her face so what happened was they actually they did one take but the smoke went off too soon so she had to like run over to the smoke rather than the smoke just coming up in front of her as though she mm. cast the spell Okay, we got that take. That take was okay, but we need to get this effect right. Mm. They tried it again. There was a huge disaster. And so the first take, the wrong take, is actually what's in the movie. So mm. it's a little flub. 
you probably never noticed it because it's really not a big fucking deal. But I, it I, is funny I've, once you know the story. I've noticed it because this is one of those movies that I have watched a hundred times. Oh, there you this go. is a film that came into my home on VHS back when we first got a VCR. It was put out by a company called Vidi hyphen O exclamation point. <laughs> V i d d y hyphen o h explanation video a video and uh, yeah it was it was the Wizard of Oz and I watched it over and over again because it was one of like maybe four movies in our house sure back in the um, early days of home video home videos were actually pretty expensive yeah so you most people only had a couple for a while and we would just watch them over and over again because it was still new and novel yeah so yeah. we got uh, a friend got us a couple of videos when they heard we had a VCR they got us oh gosh Man of La Mancha nice. No, not nice. That's a bad movie. <laughs> I know. That's uh, why I was saying nice. Uh, George Cukor's The Little Women. Nice. Or just Little Women, not The Little yeah. Women. Uh, the Secret Garden and The Wizard of Oz. Okay. Which version of Secret Garden? Uh, th- the 40s. Okay. 40s, cool. 50s. I actually don't know when that one came oh, out. Okay, fair enough. Uh, those first three, I barely watched. The yeah. Wizard of Oz got played over and over I'll again. Bet. And then eventually, like, Batman and Indiana yeah. Jones started coming in. Well, they started getting cheaper ones. to get at home. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I noticed all of the flubs. I noticed all the little uh, words, uh, like weird lines of dialogue. Something you'll notice about The Wizard of Oz, and this is something I think that contributes to its timelessness, is how weird the lyrics are. Yeah. Like, uh, we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. We hear he is a whiz of a whiz, if ever a whiz there was. If ever a so, wonderful yeah. whiz there was, the Wizard of Oz, Oz is, is one because, 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 like, because, because, is, because, because, because. It's like, it's like. the wonderful things that he does. It's like Sondheim has the hiccups. Like, he can't <laughs> write it down correctly. Um, it's very quirky. Yeah, it's, it's a little odd. And there's one lyric that people just sort of have taken in stride in Somewhere Over the Rainbow, mm. where she's talking about troubles melting like lemon drops away above the chimney tops. That's not the way lemon drops work. <laughs> lemon drops are candy. <laughs> they don't go up above your head. They go in your mouth. That's a weird lyric. Yeah. But we accept it because that's such a gangbuster song. It's an amazing now, song. Uh, do we need to go through the story of the Wizard of Oz? Well, I think we do need a little okay. bit because I want to talk so, about, A, elements uh, of the story do sync up yeah. uh, to Star Wars. Right. But also, it, I think it's an interesting production. And I think sometimes we take it a little for granted. And every once in a while, we have to revisit these films that are considered timeless classics. A, to reassess and reevaluate mm-hmm. them. Do they still hold up? Sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz does. Sometimes they don't, though. That's true. Uh, uh, so- but and, and it's also, we should just remember that, you know, it's easy to write off, like, things that we now take for granted because Wizard of Oz inspired them. But let's talk about just how amazing they were because. Because, 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 because. <laughs> uh what Star Wars was in the late 70s, in many respects, The Wizard of Oz was when it first came out. It was a big step forward in a lot of things like special effects, makeup effects, uh, even color timing, uh, music. A lot of these things were really new and really, really novel. Star Wars was a huge, gigantic hit right off the bat. The Wizard of Oz actually took some time mm. to become a major success, partially because when Star Wars came out, movies opened in 3,000 theaters across the country simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not 3,000, po- but a lot. It was post-Jaws. It was post-Jaws. So movies would open is... across the country at the same time, so you'd make a lot of money all at once. Yeah, back in the 1930s, it was... Um... All films were all, well, maybe not all. Yeah. The big films were roadshow films. Yeah. They would premiere in big cities, and then there were only a limited number of prints. Mm-hmm. And, and those prints would the start yeah, being mailed around the country from theater to theater to theater, staying in circulation literally for years. And by the time it reached, like, the final leg on the tour, which was, you know, up in the Yukon, yeah. uh, 
the prints would be like scratched and beat up and they'd be sent back to the studio because they'd been run a thousand times. Yeah. And these things were not treated well by every projectionist. Also, projectors back in the 1930s were kind of like that thing in the movie The Mangler. <laughs> where they Is just it because they would mangle things? Because they once they tasted blood, they wanted more. <laughs> so uh, there's a reason why it's hard to find a lot of old, like... Original prints. original prints that are in good shape. A because cellulose shrinks over time. Uh, a lot of a lot of film from the time was printed on uh, nitrate film, which was highly flammable and needed yeah. to be destroyed for safety reasons. Nitrate. If nitrate got on fire, mm. it could if, burn underwater. Yeah, you could throw it in a bucket of water, and it would not help. I saw. I've seen one nitrate print screened in my entire life. It was. It, was it at the Cinematheque? No, it was at UCLA. Yeah. I was. Okay. In, I was in film school at UCLA. It was a history of American cinema class. And they, you know, because it's UCLA and UCLA archive is like, I think, second only to the Library of Congress in terms of the amount of material that they have. Uh, they do have some nitrate prints, but they only screen them very, very rarely because they're highly, A, they're old and fragile, mm. and B, they're volatile and dangerous. Yeah. And in order to show it, they actually had to put like a blast shield up yeah. over yeah, the yeah. projector so that, you know, the, the, if it blew up, it wouldn't kill everyone in the there, audience. There's a, a great detail in uh, in my boss's film, Inglorious in Bastards. I work for Quentin Tarantino, so I can't really comment yeah. on... Take a drink. On, uh, I, I, I have to it comes it. up. Just, just, it comes just up. It's just funny. For, for full disclosure, it's on the bingo card. Uh, so I can't really comment on what I think about the film, but there's a, a scene uh, that takes place in a projection booth. Yeah, where uh, you'll notice on the side of a projector there is hanging a gigantic pair of scissors. Yeah. Uh, now, if you work in a, a projector booth, it's like, what do you need scissors for? You're just running film through a projector. Mm-hmm. Well, because if a nitrate print catches on fire. The only thing to do is snip the film in medias res, close some big medic, uh, metal doors overneath over the reels, and just hope it burns itself out. Yeah, because you can't put that fire out. You're no. you're taking your life in your own hands. So a lot of these are early prints of The Wizard of Oz, or you know, copies of copies of copies. Luckily, luckily, it's one of those prestigious films that they've thought to consistently restore. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking of, of copies of copies of copies of copies, copies of, of copies. copies. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but if if this said you know if this was a lesser film, uh, it, the only prints you would have found were would be like buried under the permafrost in Alaska yeah. somewhere. So anyway, my point is this. My point is this. It was in many respects kind of the Star Wars of its time. We've had a couple of Star Warses of their time. Mm-hmm. King Kong was also the Star Wars of its time. These are these big pop spectacles that push the medium and the industry forward. And Wizard of Oz is one of them. Wizard of Oz begins uh, at Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru's house, mm-hmm. uh, where, where a nineteen-year-old uh, kid is. Yeah. Trying to exert any kind of independence they have over a world that kind of hates them. Yeah, and they feel trapped where they are, and as they look out over the horizon at the twin sons, I assume, you know, she probably needs glasses, she's young. (laughs) She dreams about going off and going to a place where the troubles that she has right now are not a problem, a place of maybe adventure or love. Well, she, and she's thinking of happy little bluebirds fly beyond the rainbow. She sings yeah. uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. It's one of the three best songs ever written. I would say uh, so. Yeah, it's, certainly, it's, right, I would, it's certainly the best song ever composed for a movie. Yeah, yeah, that's. I would think that's fair. It's it's hard. that and Shaft. It's, like those it's are the hard, two. It's hard to argue with somewhere over the rainbow. And yeah. uh, in in Star Wars, we actually have a big musical cue uh, mm-hmm. where they have that sort of love theme. Mm-hmm. Ba dum ba dum ba dum ba dum ba dum ba dum ba dum. 
that's, 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 that that's, is, and it's just Luke Walker, uh, Luke Walker, Luke, Luke Skywalker, Walker. <laughs> just staring off at the distance. That is somewhere over a rainbow yeah. in like two shots. Yeah, uh, they both are uh, in in a, a, a fit of not fitting in. Mm-hmm. run off to a, a kooky old man who lives just outside of town. <laughs> yeah, who seems and, to have magic powers. In the mm. case of Star Wars, it's literal. And in the case of The Wizard of Oz, he's played it's, by Frank Morgan, mm. and he is a shyster. Mm. <laughs> he, is, he plays Professor Marvel. Yeah, someone who... And, he, and it's, it's fun, actually, if you know a little bit about con artists and things. He, he tries to do a cold reading mm. of uh, Dorothy Gale when she comes in. And she, and just, she runs away from home after uh, the evil Mrs. Gulch, played yeah. by Margaret Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, th- Threatens to take away her dog, and, and actually her does dog. take her dog, take her yeah. dog away in order to kill it. In fact, we actually open, it, we actually open not dissimilarly from Hidden Fortress mm. with uh, Judy Garland running away from the camera mm. down the road with Toto in tow, and we've missed a whole big thing because Toto, her little dog, uh, has a tendency to run over to Elmira Gulch's place mm. and bite her cat. Now. To be fair... It's just Myra. Myra Gulch. I assumed it was short for Elmira. Whatever. Myra Gulch. Uh, To be fair, she has a legit grievance. Hmm. But she's taken it way too far. She's gone to the sheriff and said, I have gotten... I've gone to the sheriff and he says, I'm allowed to take your dog and kill it. Hmm. And Dorothy is like, you can't do that, right? And her Auntie M and and her Uncle Baru... Uh, Uncle Henry. <laughs> Uncle Henry. Uh, they're just like, well, apparently they can. And Dorothy's yeah, of course she, she, distraught. She has, she has a writ, so she's allowed to take the dog yeah. away. By the way, she, we, we she, also, off, yeah. she even offers like, you can't take my dog away. You can send me to bed without supper. She's like so deferential and right. shy. And she's trying to protect mm. her dog's life. It's a very noble endeavor. We forgot to mention, uh, unlike Luke Skywalker, uh, Dorothy Gale, there's actually several farmhands. Mm. Uh, who work at her farm, all of whom will become very important later because they will also play the Tin Man, mm. the Lion, mm. and uh, the the Scarecrow. The scarecrow. And when you when mm. you watch this opening sequence, knowing what comes later, you realize that every single thing those characters do is set up in a few lines of dialogue. In fact, mm. at some point we may do like an episode zero of something like Back to the Future, and if we do, <laughs> we're gonna have to go right back to the Wizard of Oz because the structure is right there. Because yeah, so we have the, the, the three farmhands. There's uh, yeah. Ray Bolger has a line about uh, you didn't think you had any brains at all. And yeah, he will later play a character who is seeking some brains. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, uh, she's like walking through the hogs and she you was know, talking about how uh, you need to show a little courage when you're facing up against Miss Gulch and. Mm-hmm. He he ends up playing. Uh, that's Bert Laurie ends up playing the cowardly lion mm-hmm. who needs and, a little courage. Uh, Jack Haley mm-hmm. talks about the, talks of jokes about being a statue when she meets the Tin Man he's played by Jack Haley. He's a statue because he's rusted shut. All of these things, every practically every line of dialogue comes into play later because this is going to be a dream sequence and is going to represent her troubles at home. But when you look at Back to the Future, all of those things, the first act of Back to the Future is one of the most perfectly written things well, the, ever. The, the whole screenplay, is, it's one It's Pretty one of those good. Like, impeccable Hollywood screenplays where everything comes into play later. They yeah. set everything up and knock everything on. Die Hard is another and one. And it's full of details yeah. in Back to the Future too, where you'll see like a sign in the 1980s, it mirrors a sign in the 1950s, but it's different now and it mm. has different meanings. And all of that is set up in The Wizard of Oz, and much like The Wizard of Oz, it's someone who ends up in a fantastical land and has to fight their way back home. And there's a lot of similarities. Um, So she runs away. She runs to, is it Professor Marvel? Professor Marvel. Professor Marvel. 
Again, I've only seen it a few times. Uh, and uh, he convinces so this, her. This to, movie's branded in my brain. He convinces her to go home, but it's too late because a tornado is attacking. This tornado is, is awe-inspiringly good. The special uh, they used um, uh, a stocking, not, not they? rear projection. Um, mm. It was, it was, I think it was, no, it was rear projection where they're projecting the image on a screen behind the actors. It wasn't like mm. blue screen effects. They didn't like key in mm. uh, the effect. Um, it, it was similar special effects they used to do uh, a lot of the creature effects in King Kong when King mm-hmm. Kong was interacting with things in the foreground uh, and, and other films as well. But yeah, yeah. They, they used um, some, I think they used some actual footage of a hurricane or of a uh, tornado. <laughs> but, if they uh, did, they superimposed it because it was actually, uh, it was, oh, I look it up. It's just muslin. Mm. And they're just sort of winding it in the background. And I assume they probably had it in slow motion so it looked really natural. Mm. But you then you whip up the wind and you show it in the background and it's moving all slow and creepy like and it's looming and it's getting mm. larger. And you watch it so, today. That scene fucking plays. It looks really well, and, good. And all of the people, like, they got some real good, strong wind machines. So things are blowing over. They got real horses running through the stage. Uh, and there's even a shot when everybody's retreated to the so- the storm cellar and Dorothy's run away. So mm. they've locked her out. Yeah. And they can't hear her banging because the wind is too loud. Yeah. Uh, and there's a gust of wind that comes along. And I'm not sure if they actually had Judy Garland, like, on a cable or if they actually just blew her a little too hard, but she actually like rears up on the tips of her toes as if she's about to be taken away. Well, that also might just be, and this is something that I think we lose a little bit nowadays. Uh-huh. It might also just be skill. Because mm-hmm. one of the reasons why the characters like the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion are so effective mm-hmm. isn't just the makeup effects, which although the material is highly toxic and extremely irresponsible, nevertheless actually pretty darn convincing a lot of the times the way that the scarecrow's um face turns into like a, a bag a, yeah, it's turns like into a, a bag around his neck, neck yeah. it's actually pretty seamless no no pun intended and uh that's very impressive the tin man looks really sparkly and effective mm. that's really effective uh the cowardly lion uh looks a little less like a lion also really creepy that suit was made out of actual lions and it weighed like 150 pounds or something. It was enormous. And, yeah. and the sets back in those days, the lights you needed in order to get good shots, uh, made the sets like over 100 degrees. That thing apparently stank to high hell. Yeah, because Berlar was sweating in it all yeah. day. Uh, Jack Haley could not sit down. Mm-hmm. And uh, the makeup on Ray Boulder's face like made his face chapped. Like they didn't have moisturizers in it. So it's, apparently, his, it took like a year his, for that to clear yeah, up. His face would like crack and bleed on a daily. But the basis. reason why these characters are so effective, the makeup looks good, but the makeup doesn't just look good. The reason why they're so effective is because all of these actors are firmly committed to the physicality mm. of their characters. Well, they're all the, uh, vaudeville performers. Exactly. They're all incredibly talented, mm. especially uh, I would say Jack Haley and um, Ray Bolger. Ray Bolger, yeah. especially those two, but all of them um and they understood that their characters were made of things that weren't human parts Mm. and they actually conveyed those characters movements in unusual ways the scarecrow seems like he's barely touching the ground all the time why Mm. he's made of hay there's like no weight to him you might as well be blown away in the wind Mm. the uh the tin man he moves he, like he he doesn't have like a lot of organic movement. It's all at the joints. Mm. And there's this great bit. And the Wizard of Oz has been referenced so many times. Every time you watch it, you're going to be like, oh yeah. There's a bit where the uh, the Tin Man has his first song, 
and he leans all the way over, but he's only bending his ankles, and you mm. realize, oh, that's where Michael Jackson got Smooth Criminal. Mm. <laughs> and I'll bet it is. <laughs> no, absolutely it is. Yeah. So th- I'll bet, even though they may have had a wire, they may have other stuff, I bet they also taught Judy Garland how to move like that. Because he, the mm. sad fact is... Judy Garland was horrifically treated by the studio system. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely horrifically treated. She was treated she, like a like a like a tool a, perfor- in a, toolbox. a performing animal. She was just yeah. They gave her they, drugs in order to oh. keep her chipper and in line. They and gaslit also, her with it like crazy. Uh, and and they basically robbed her of her childhood. There's a story I was reading about when I was doing well, my research part, for this. Part of it's dramatized in Judy, the recent yeah, movie, which which is not an amazing movie, but it's an interesting movie, and I think you'd like it. But um, there's a bit where she was talking. They were talking about how um, she actually apparently she got along famously with Margaret Hamilton. Like okay. they were just they were just really good friends, and uh, she actually got her dress she was going to wear for graduation because she was still uh, a kid. Mm-hmm. And she showed it off to Margaret Hamilton, and then she wasn't allowed to graduate because the studio was putting her to work. God. And Margaret Hamilton just like called the head of the studio and chewed him out. <laughs> and it didn't change. Apparently, I'm not going to say it didn't change a damn thing. But you, God, people needed to defend that girl. You do not want girl. to get on the wrong end of Myra Gulch. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, so, but she, to 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 extrapolate on a, a few more Star Wars parallels. Yeah. Uh, the the sort of like being whisked up into space. That's sort of like. Mm-hmm. It's a parallel for, you know, the evil empire, of course, but I think it's also, like, the Millennium Falcon. Like, what, when's the transfer from Luke living in this dirt farm mm-hmm. to living in uh, space? Mm-hmm. Now, in well, Star it, it's, Wars, it's well, a it's, tragedy because the well, soldiers come and murder his family. It's the death of his family. Yeah. And what happened? but the important thing is he's taken away. Yeah. He is taken away. The, the whole thing is, oh, I really wanted to go and join the Academy and go out and see the stars and become a... F- pilot like my father mm-hmm. and but I can't because I have to be here and it sucks and I hate here and I wish I could be somewhere else mm-hmm. but he's going to do it because it's his responsibility and he's a pretty good kid and then the decision is made for him by external circumstances in the case of Star Wars his aunt and uncle are just killed mm-hmm. really horribly too and here we don't know what happened to his to her aunt and uncle they could be dead for a long time anyway mm-hmm. obviously they're fine but um, and she's whisked away Against her will. She was already ready to go home. She was already feeling guilty about running away. And now she's going to have to deal with the consequences of those actions, but in a really large, grand way. Luke didn't necessarily want to go and fight and kill a bunch of people. Mm. He, wanted to, he, wanted, he wanted to go to school. Like, that's what he wanted. He wanted to just get out of the shitty town. He didn't necessarily want all of this epic adventure, but when it was there, he had to deal with it. And he, much like Dorothy Gale, found himself a group of friends, one of whom is rather heartless. Another one is made of tin. Another one looks like a big lion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, one of them is named Artodito. Toe-toe. That's a stretch. Okay, it's a little bit of a parallel. That's a okay. stretch. <laughs> Although, it there's, sounds there's, more there's like... There's like a little non-human critter that skitters around on the ground I'll, and follows her around. I'll, I'll grant you that. I'll All grant right. you that. Um, anyway, uh, so she lands in Oz. There's this incredible sequence, and for a long time I had no idea how they did this. And when someone finally explained it to me, uh-huh. I, I slapped my head because it was so fucking genius. There's a scene in this movie, and it's pretty famous now, uh, where... It goes from black and white to color. It's not mm. just a hard cut. We're inside Dorothy Gale's house. Everything is sepia-toned, which is... Uh, when it's not black and white, it's got a, a bit of a parchment-like mm. 
kind of brownish, kind of brownish yeah. tones. Um, it, it just feels older, and I, I'm hesitant to even say why. It feels like crumbling paper, I guess. Um, it looks great. I love it looks the, great. I love great the look, look of that movie. But uh, she's in the house, and the house is still sepia. The first act of the film has all been sepia. It's my understanding that was all Herman J. Mankiewicz's idea when he was working on the script. Could be wrong. That's what I heard. Mm. Uh, and then she opens the door, and right outside the door, glorious three-strip Technicolor. Mm. Like, absolutely stunning. And it's all like a fake sound sage so it's not even just like she's outside everything has been pumped with color to the nines mm. to try to make it look as eye-poppingly pretty as it possibly can and yeah it looks fake but it looks amazing but it all done in one shot now for a long time i thought oh okay well like they like the door was black and uh mm. they just used a little bit of like early compositing which was possible at the time but tricky and probably wouldn't look that seamless Tur- turns no. out uh they didn't do that it turns no. out there was a hard cut yeah, no no there, there, there wasn't it was there all was, one there, no there was a hard cut um there's a scene where uh sepia dorothy exits frame it cuts to the uh, the op- the reverse shot of the door, uh-huh. and it's already in color before she's opened the door. But here's the trick: on the inside of the door, they mm-hmm. painted it to look sepia, so mm-hmm. it's color, even though black it's- and white. <laughs> and uh, if you uh, again, I grew up with a video before they did any sort of remastering, mm-hmm. and it's really obvious when you're watching it on VHS because uh-huh. first of all, she's already wearing the blue dress. Uh-huh. It's obvious, like before she even opens the door. Yeah, but because the. Uh, the way color was processed on VHS, Mm -hmm. it just all of a sudden starts to smear a little bit. Like the image changes dramatically. Oh, weird. When it cuts the reverse shot. I don't think I've ever seen it on VHS. That's interesting. Um, So, but yeah, so I, I saw it on like, you know, nice crisp Mm. uh, DVD. It's actually a really impressive visual effect and it's really clever. And they did it all in camera. So beautiful. So cool. And then, uh, uh, she goes to an alien land. Mm hmm. And uh, the first people that she meets are little people, not unlike uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 running into the Jawas. Uh, The difference is uh, her house landed on an evil witch. Mm. We're going to take it on, on... On faith that she's evil, we actually don't know that. No, we never actually hear anything that she did. The entire village just says, "You, you killed this tyrant who's ruling yeah. all." Now, and they're all they, ready to celebrate. Like they had a parade ready to go just in also, case she ever died. They, they clearly have public works because there's a mayor of Munchkin City. Uh-huh. They have a like a county coroner for goodness sake. It looks real they pretty have, out there. It's like, really it, pretty. Nothing's yeah. been like destroyed. Say what or you will about down. the Wicked Witch of the East. She made the Munchkin trains run on time. And and also there's enough time for like. Civic activities like entering lullaby leagues and lollipop guilds. Like, if the kibosh hasn't been put on the fucking lollipop guild, you know things aren't that bad in Munchkinland. But okay, she was a tyrant, or may- maybe yeah. she was like the the bandits in Seven Samurai. She'd yeah. come by occasionally and steal the lollipops. Now it's worth noting that the movie uh, hired a lot of little people, uh-huh. a lot of little people to play the Munchkins. Uh, they're all wearing incredible costumes, and they're doing some fun dancing. Uh, almost none of them are using their own voices. A lot of them were uh, actually from Europe, and a lot of them were actually fleeing the Nazis and used World War II in order to, and, and used the uh, Wizard of Oz uh, as a means of escaping during World <laughs> War II. During yeah. World War II, so that's good. So I, I, and I'm glad that I, I have, happened. I have to emigrate to America. I'm working on this big production for work, so yeah. I'm glad that happened. But you have to admit, it's pretty exploitative. Huh. To just be like, we need a whole group of people who look weird. Well, hmm. okay, we'll get little people, but we'll. We'll call them something more offensive. Now they they, they weren't uh, explicitly little people in in the book, mm-hmm. but they they're called Munchkins and they are just 
described as small. So yeah, you could have used photographic um, effects to do that. They hired a bunch yeah, they, of little people. They distorted people. a lot of the actors' voices. They dubbed over a lot of the actors' voices. Yeah. This isn't nearly as bad as a film called I think it's called Beyond the Rainbow. Oh, with uh, Carrie Fisher. With Carrie Fisher, another and, Star Wars connection, and, uh, and I think it was Chevy Chase, and yeah, the, and it was it, about how the it, they played essentially the Munchkin actors like handlers, mm-hmm. and all of the Munchkins were put. And the, this is sort of based on fact, but the movie's terrible. Uh, where they Blake were, Edwards film or something it, it might have been, but yeah, the, the idea is. The Munchkins are essentially like the Gremlins, and they're like let loose in this hotel where they just get drunk and cause mayhem. It's about how Carrie Fisher and Chevy Chase have to like get them in line again. Hold on, I'm looking this up. I'm trying to make sure I know who directed this. I've actually never seen this movie. I hear it is absolutely terrible. (laughs) And I've never seen it. it, 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 It's even worse to the little people actors than the Wizard of Oz is. Um, Yeah, they they sing. this wonderful song about how the, the Und- it's actually said, under the rainbow under the rainbow excuse me under the rainbow and it is her and Chevy Chase mm-hmm. and it was uh, directed by Steve Rash okay uh, who had also done the Buddy Holly story mm-hmm. which is quite good and uh, other notable oh, bring it on all or nothing and bring it on in it to win it <laughs> long prolific career good for uh, including a really terrible film called under, <laughs> under the rainbow not beyond the rainbow that's beyond the black rainbow that's yeah. a different kind of movie that's why I think you're thinking of. Um, no, but yeah, uh, the sort of c- celebration, you've destroyed our tyrant, now go on a quest mm-hmm. to get what you want. Now, Luke doesn't destroy a tyrant, he just sort of goes off with his, starts assembling his merry band of, well, of, uh, of a cowardly lion and a, what's more, a cowardly robot and a, well, the, 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 a, the, a brave lion man. It's actually but, not like a one-to-one No, uh, but there's, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of similarities. There's a, but there's not, a tin man, there's a lion-like yeah. creature, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would actually uh, uh, argue that Chewbacca, other than looking like an animal, doesn't really fit any of those characters. No, He's actually no. got his shit together. Han Solo clearly doesn't have a heart. That's totally, totally true. It could be argued that Luke didn't have a brain. <laughs> uh, but I, clearly that's supposed well, to be C-3PO, even though C-3PO and, you know, is Profes- the Tin Man. Professor and, Marvel and Obi-Wan, but then Professor Marvel doesn't go with her. It's it's not the same. It's, it's, not, it's not, not a, a perfect one, one, one But it's clearly uh, the idea is you know, very, very simple. About Our hero of, is going on a journey, and they're going to pick up companions who each have. Mm. Everyone has a lesson to learn. By the end, they're all going to team up and form a really close connection and solve a lot of problems. And every time we meet a new character who joins us on this journey, they have their own yeah. little story, a little bit of business. Now, I, w- I would say that uh, The Wizard of Oz is a little cleverer because it kind of doubles back on what you think you might want instead of just sort of giving the characters what they want. Mm. There's, there's a like... Oh, a, like the, a, at the very end. At the very end. The way well, yeah, ends. we'll talk about that when we get to the end yeah. of the at the end of the movie. Um, so she goes along uh, the Yellow Brick Road. And uh, she meets all of these wonderful characters. They all have incredible dance sequences. Yeah, they all, they so all sing, goddamn pretty. They all, all sing the If I Only Had A bit. Um, yeah. I got to see, I went to Hollywood Forever once, mm. uh, which is a, a famous cemetery here in Los Angeles, where a lot of celebrities are buried, uh, yeah. including uh, Billy Burke from Wizard of Oz. She plays Glinda. Oh, there you go. Um, and they, I saw the Flaming Lips uh, hold a concert there. Mm. And their idea was they were going to perform uh, Dark Side of the Moon and also The Wizard of Oz. 
So I got to hear Wayne Coyne sing all of the songs from Wizard of Oz. It was, was it amazing or terrible? It was amazing. Okay. The, fl- <laughs> the Flaming Lips are a nice, strange band. They are, but just which why it occurred to me that maybe that could backfire and not be as cool as you no, think. No, they, they, th- okay. they think that shit out. Oh, that's good. Okay, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> they don't just do these weird experiments to see. You know, they, yeah. they make sure those are successful. Right. I have not heard their record where you have to buy four copies of it and play them on four different stereos to have them all sync up together. What? That sounds amazing. Yeah, you haven't heard about I've this? I've never heard about that. That oh, sounds let me look Amazing. up the name of this record. Somebody, so somebody's cool. yelling at it, me right now. But um, yeah, <laughs> there was a Flaming Lips uh, record. I think it was just called like this. this Oh, what was it called? I don't even remember. Um, anyway, this basic structure mm-hmm. of uh, heroes on a journey and they pick up uh, uh, allies along the way, you'll see that in all of the Star Wars trilogies. You'll see that mm-hmm. in uh, The Phantom Menace, where uh, uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan pick up Queen Amidala, pick up mm-hmm. Jar Jar Banks, pick up uh, Anakin Skywalker. Luke picks up a whole bunch of people along the way. Ray and Finn pick up a lot of people along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's basically just the set standard for fantasy heroics. The, the name of the Flaming Lips, Lips record was called Zyreka. Z-A-I-R-E-E-K-A. And yeah, it came on four CDs. Wow. And you could listen to them independently, but if you played them all together, they would all, mat- they would all sync up. God, that's cool. Yeah. I never heard about that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I haven't tried it. I I, I know um, if you listen to if you've listened to us and you've actually gone on and uh, followed a recommendation by listening to Alonso Duralde and Dave White over on the Linoleum Knife podcast, which they, you must. They're such they're such brilliant critics. They're amazing they're critics. So the both of them. They have and they're imp- good impeccable people ta- too. impeccable yeah. taste in everything, and uh, not just in film mm. in everything. Oh my they're, god, they're amazingly tasteful people and. Uh, they have done that. They have gotten all four records and, and synced up and listened to Zyrica God, they're so much cooler albums. than we are. <laughs> they're so much cooler than we are in every conceivable way. Good for them. Anyway, uh, they, they they run around and they, they do stuff. And, and they uh, run around. <laughs> That's the speed version of that story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Meanwhile. No, they, 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 pick, they all sing, uh, if I only had a brain, if I only had a heart, if I only had the nerve. and Dunnoive. Uh, and in between the songs, they each have an encounter with some bizarre, wicked thing. Uh, yeah. In one episode after she meets the Scarecrow, she runs into living, talking trees that pick off their own apples and throw them at them. Yeah, that's a fun uh, one. Then after they meet uh, the Tin Woodman, they meet the Witch again, who's just sort of following them along. Yeah, and the Witch, and again, if you're going off of sort of classical tropes, uh, the Witch didn't invent this, but she is... This mysterious and creepy figure who lives off in this like mm. giant military compound, and she dresses all in black, and she clearly mm. like has a lot of magical powers, mm. not unlike Darth Vader. Um, she's a very classical. In fact, pretty much every image of a witch after the Wizard of Oz is either doing Margaret Hamilton or consciously not doing Margaret right, Hamilton. Right. If you don't see someone oh. with a pointy face and green skin, mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh, they chose not to do the Wizard of Oz route. No. That's how iconic <laughs> this is. Uh, oh, we, we did fail to mention that she lands on this evil tyrant and goes off on her adventure, but she also in- incurs the wrath of the Wicked Witch of the West because that was her sister yeah. who got killed. So again, the Wicked Witch actually and, has a legit grievance. And uh, Dorothy is given, uh, essentially her ability to use the force in mm. the form of these magical shoes. Yeah, and she doesn't get a lot of... Sh- off of the feet of yeah. the dead witch that were sticking out from under the, the house, and they just sort of magically appear on her own feet. And like Luke, she is told by a fantastical sort of mentor, Glinda's a, a good a witch. sorceress, yeah. Uh, given the gist of magic, and then 
Uh, they are left to their own devices. Luke, oh, Luke gets like, what, a day and a half of Jedi training before mm-hmm. his mentor dies in Star Wars Episode Four. It's a miracle he learned anything. Like oh, it's and really then, hard. Like, and, and how long does he? And this has been criticized a lot. How long is he on that that swamp planet with Yoda? Yeah, it's like a couple of days. That's not enough to like hone your super magic this is, skills. Or this whatever. is an issue uh, I've always had with Star Wars, where I just feel like the the portrayal of various things that Jedi do or can do, as we yeah. see in the original trilogy, is dramatically different than what we see in the prequels. And you can make the argument that, okay, well... We never back- saw it in their, their, in their full power. We That's never the- saw Jedi who had been trained like their whole lives mm. and were young and spry and all that kind of stuff. However... That gets really muddled when you get to the later films and you see that, like, okay, I'm willing to accept that Darth Vader, old, Mm. scarred, scarred, missing limbs, maybe he's, like, using the Force just to keep himself alive and he can't, like, do all the cool shit he used to do. And that's why when he fights Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's a lot less theatrical than it is in Revenge of the Sith when they fight. However... Then we see Rogue One, where it turns out he can do all that cool shit, and he just didn't (laughs) for the most three most important movies in the series. There's a lot of inconsistency here, and it really bugs me. And I get that you want to see Jedi do cool stuff and more cool stuff, but I feel like more consideration should have been taken for these movies need to progress from Episode One through Uh, whatever, like chronologically, and maybe we should actually make sure they make sense that way. I feel like it's never been laid down like hard facts style, Mm. like what a Jedi is or does. I mean, in in Rise of Skywalker, this very general idea as to what they are, but they they just keep on sort of expanding, and they don't really have a a focused role. I like the idea that it can expand. I actually like that in Rise of Skywalker, we find out that Rey is using the Force to do things that people couldn't do before, like heal people. It's life magic, basically. That that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. It makes perfect sense to me in my head. I'm like, okay, that's cool. It makes a hell of a lot more sense than that weird teleporting props gag that they have where, like, I'm using the Force to speak to you from across the galaxy. I buy it. Okay, also, I can steal your helmet from across the galaxy. No, so, that, like, I don't buy that. That's Fre- weird. It's like Freddy Krueger hat magic. Yeah, you know, I, I, I pulled the hat out I'm of my dream. You, man, J.J. Abrams is really inspired by horror movies. For, for uh. And when we start talking about, because we're not going to exclusively talk about George Lucas's Star Wars, eventually we'll talk about some of the influences on the other Star Wars movies as well. I'm looking forward to it because J.J. Abrams is clearly a fan of Phantasm, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, and Nightmare on Elm Street. And that's fun. I, I um, can't wait to talk about Hellraiser 2. That'll um, be fun. But uh, but yeah, so like I, I'm willing to buy these sort of natural extensions of things and that this will show that people are actually growing and maybe they are the future of mm. this religion or faith or whatever. But man, sometimes it's just wildly inconsistent. Yeah. And... Again, back when there was only one movie, it didn't fucking matter. But now we have all this context, and the yeah. context doesn't necessarily sync up. Um, so yeah, George, much George like Gale. Wizard of Oz, like you actually watch the Wizard of Oz and then Return to Oz, they don't actually sync up. No, Return to Oz is a sequel to an adaptation of a book we didn't see, <laughs> and Wizard of Oz is its own weird thing. Yeah, but like, most people had only seen the movie by that point, so Return to Oz just doesn't make sense. 
Yeah, like the aesthetic is is important, but yeah, they make allusions to things that happened in the book that didn't happen in the movie that yeah. they're taking visual cues from, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I love yeah, it. That's Dor- weird. Dorothy, you know, armed with her her magical slippers that give mm-hmm. her magical powers that she yeah. doesn't really know how to control. All they, yeah. all it really does is. Uh, Kind of protect her from death. Oh, I'm actually, I was reading about this, and apparently, the thing that protects her from the Wicked Witch's magic is uh, Glinda's kiss, the kiss of a good witch. In the book, and yeah. it's in the book, and she kisses her in there, so it's kind of in there. Well, in the but here it seems like it is just from the shoes. Well, and, and the ruby slippers don't have the same role. They, yeah. They're they're different in the book. Anyway, the whole thing about being either being protected by Glinda's kiss or even just being protected by this magic so that evil cannot harm you. If we ever do Harry Potter, we'll have to talk about Wizard of Oz again because that's oh, all in there. Yeah. The whole thing about Voldemort can't touch him because his mom's full, magic. Because he's full of love. So much goddamn love. Which you kind of took care of Voldemort, but then they brought him back. I, I know. I I thought like that's like, kind that's of a, just the end fine, of Voldemort if he just can't a, touch him. It's you know? a fine ending. Yeah. Move on. Do I a different know. villain in the next one. Anyway, oh, he's in all of them. It's a it's a whole thing. They get to. Uh, well, first off, they end up uh, uh, falling asleep in a field of poppies, which is a gorgeous image. And Glinda saves the day, not unlike um, uh, Gandalf. He just sort of pops in and is like, oh, shit, um, eagles, eagles everywhere. Well, she she doesn't even appear. She, like, appears in the sky. Yeah. Like, she essentially prays to God, and uh, and God appears in the sky. That's Billy Burke, Glinda the Good Witch. And she makes it snow, which somehow counteracts the effects of the poppies. I guess it would kill the poppies. I suppose so. Maybe poppies knock are- their spores out. Poppies, sky, are, yeah. uh, poppies typically grow in like those spring and the summer, so where, they, they die get, in the winter. It is where we get opium, but yeah, uh, yeah, and that's that's the metaphor of that scene. Mm-hmm. But uh, do, do you know what's do you know the the what's weird about the snow in that scene? It, it's well, it's certainly not snow. It's probably asbestos. It's asbestos. Yeah, they just sprinkled asbestos all over the set and on the actors. It's okay. It was safe then. Uh, no, actually, they knew it wasn't. <laughs> they already knew it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It's so horrifying and terrible. This is the most irresponsible shoot until The Conqueror. <laughs> The movie where they actually shot it on a nuclear test site, and almost everyone who worked on the movie got cancer and died, including John Wayne. Oh my god! It's so fucked um, up. Of course, John so Wayne yeah, also but, probably smoked like five packs a day. But but th- this goal of uh, and of course the whole and this is where uh, uh, Star Wars and the Wizard of Oz differ the greatest. Mm. Where uh, they they both sort of have to go to this big magical place. Mm. Um, in Star Wars, the big magical place is the Death Star. Well, they're and going to Alderaan, of, but they get sidetracked by the Death Star. Because uh, Death Star right. blew up Alderaan. But uh, in, in The Wizard of Oz, they go to the Emerald City. Now, in the book, it's all a big fake. People put on emerald glasses to make everything look green, when really it's not. Oh, I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. It's, it's actually a put-on from the start in the oh, book. Okay. Um, in, in uh, Wizard of Oz, they run into uh, several different versions of Frank, Mo- Frank Morgan. I'm such a doorknob, I didn't recognize that for many years. <laughs> I watched this movie a hundred times on VHS. I didn't recognize that yeah. there were different characters played by Frank Morgan. Much like the the Tin Man, the Lion, and the Scarecrow played by Kirsten in the first half, Frank Morgan, Professor Marvel, mm-hmm. plays not just the Wizard of Oz, but a whole bunch of people who are working he plays there. The, the doorman. I assume it's all the same guy. No, it's a different characters. It's uh, really different characters the whole time. Because there's the doorman who yeah. rang that bell. That's yeah. Frank Morgan, and then and he just the, comes the, back doing a different voice. Uh, no, different then, hat. then there's the guy who comes with the big beard. Oh, he was driving on a the different horse beard. Of, heard of a different color, horse of a different color. Yeah, it's like here's the horse of a different color. I want to talk about. They have different accents, and then he's that really uh, demonstrative guard. Yeah, who is a trust guy? I just assumed it was too. all the same guy because he, here's the deal: he's the Wizard of Oz. Mm. He runs the Emerald City, but he needs people 
to like not know that he's not magic. Mm-hmm. So the only people he can trust is him, and he just has to run everything by himself. It's probably really exhausting. Well, and shit. I assumed it was just you know fun casting. I guess it works either way. Mm-hmm. It works either way. But they get there, and actually, the whole design of the front oh. of the Emerald City is Jabba's Palace. The whole bit where Luke and or even C three PO and R two D two the front of Jabba's palace. Okay, when they because Jabba has his palace, mm. they're all there and they're trying to rescue Han Solo at the beginning of Return of the Jedi. There's this big giant door and these big giant walls and it looks really intimidating. And they have to like knock on the door and speak to someone through the hole and well the whole mm. bit of trying to get in when they're talking to um, one of the guards. I think it's Bib Fortuna. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's that's all from the opening of Wizard of Oz. Okay. It's just funny. Um, they go inside and <laughs> get haircuts. It's a really important sequence well, where they, they get haircuts. They've, they've been on the road for a while. No, they want to freshen up a little they bit. They didn't need to do that. But I just think it's funny that, like, the idea... Well, the idea is, is a pretty simple metaphor, actually. There's a farm girl... Mm-hmm. And a bunch of other and, people who like lived off the land, and now and they're in the big a, yeah. city. She's wearing a gingham dress, which yeah. is you know, like farm clothes, yeah. and yeah, she my, needs my to. My point uh, is this: they go to the big city. It's almost like Sunrise, a song of two humans. They go to the big city, and they mm. get the whole big city experience. Mm. This is one of the things that she probably fantasized about living in the Dust Bowl mm. in 1939 or whenever that was actually set. Mm. Um, I, I, they're kind of hazy on the actual year, but it's around that time. Yeah. Um, I do like that they mentioned that they can dye her eyes. It's one of the lyrics in the Mary Land of Oz. I didn't pick up on that. That's weird. Yeah. We can uh, turn your smile into uh, from a frown. We, can you even dye my eyes to match my gown? Uh, wow, uh, I do not remember that at all. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's super fucking weird. No so, memory so of that. They can, they can do all kinds of creepy magic stuff. Yeah. So uh, she when she gets back to Kansas at the end, she can't tell because she's back in sepia again. I know. So maybe she does have dyed <laughs> eyes. Um, they go to see the wizard, and, and the wizard is a giant green, scary, floating head monster. He's a hologram. He's a hologram. Before mm. anyone knew what the hell that was, and hey, and that's how the when we first saw the emperor in Empire Strikes in Back. Empire Strikes Back. It was kind of like that. No, it's exactly like that. Head, Big yeah. giant floating head. Same thing with Snoke. The first time we see him, he's like fifty feet tall mm. in a hologram. Really intimidating. Mm. That's the idea. We're introduced to this character as being really intimidating, and then when we pull back the curtain, which they literally do mm. in the Wizard of Oz at the end of the movie, they pull back the curtain. And it's actually just a guy. And that's kind of what happens with the Emperor. We pull back the curtain, and he's an old guy in a robe. Yeah, he's powerful. He's still just an old guy in a robe. Mm. Same thing with Snoke. Oh, he's going to be this really important thing. Oh, my God, he's the most important character ever. Nope, cloned him in a bathtub. That's actually well, that kind was, of faithful, if you think until, about it. Uh, it wasn't until two films later that he was a clone in the bathtub. Well, that's fine. That's it wasn't canon. until a film later that we met the Emperor in person anyway, so it's all yeah, part of it. The idea so it is we're introduced... A film later that... Darth Vader became Luke Skywalker. Exactly. We're introduced to these figures when they are larger than life. And then we pull back the curtain and we realize that they are not. Someone, Mm. uh, just the other day on Twitter, we were talking about Anakin Skywalker. And someone asked me, like, do you think that the portrayal of Anakin Skywalker by Hayden Christensen Mm. in the prequels diminishes his power as a villain in the original trilogy? And I thought about it for a minute. And then what I came up with was this. I think portraying Darth Vader as a whiny, entitled boy with fascist leanings that he openly states and a ton of other red flags Mm. who everyone else just laughs all that shit off. 
until they realize way too late that he was exactly who he said he was. Mm. I think that's pretty spot on. That's, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are were sort of annoyed or put off by that because they people grew up thinking Darth Vader was really cool. Yeah, and maybe he's not. Maybe, maybe he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be cool. Let's take he's away a lot of that, that power. And uh, I think when you look at a lot of villains. Yeah. Deep down, wherever power they wield, they're pathetic. And that goes for everyone from, I mean, you look at the Wicked Witch, she's lonely. That's what Margaret Mm. Hamilton's take was. She was just talking about that. You killed my sister. I have no one now. I'm Mm. lonely. This is sad. I'm all up on my tower. I have no one to talk about my flying monkeys. But when she's dying, she says, who would have thought a girl like you could destroy my beautiful wickedness? So she's actually devoted to being evil. Margaret (laughs) Hamilton is not the the best example. (laughs) I will grant you this. The Wicked Witch of the West is not a a sympathetic figure. I will grant you that she is They tried to do it in shit like Wicked and also... uh, Well, it's in the books a little bit too, right? Isn't she more fleshed out in the books? Uh, no, no, she's just a monster in the box. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah could be wrong. She's got an eye patch and rides like a motorcycle and <laughs> wields machine guns. Yeah, she's she's pretty badass. No, uh, when uh, when Muppets did Wizard of Oz, they actually tried mm. to make it a little bit more like the books. Uh, oh, okay. and, and like, there's some monsters in the books called the Kaleidas uh, that that don't show up in the movie. Oh yeah, so yeah. yeah they put those that's in. Are they like really Wizard violent? Yeah, they're like the they're like these giant like kind of bear tiger monsters okay. and they end up like push them off a cliff crazy and yeah the 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 wicked witch was like she had a a, a magic hat and could cast spells with a magic hat and okay. she wore an eye patch and and it was played by miss piggy in the movie anyway and she wore and she rode a motorcycle that's awesome okay that's awesome <laughs> but uh but seriously though a lot of villains are actually just they're insecure they're mm. frail they have uh, tiny egos they're not worldly because that's what leads to their uh, you know the mm-hmm. racism or the sexism. They're they're not cool. There are very few cool villains out. there. Well, I mean, there. there are a lot of cool villains. I think, and I think mm-hmm. a people a lot of people respond to their power and their confidence, uh, whether or not right. they're doing something good or bad. But the point that's is that once you these, really start, yeah. that, but that's a lot of that's really surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. pull it back and you realize that there's actually a lot of tragedy in there. Like I think it's one of the reasons why people really responded to the movie Joker mm-hmm. because the Joker has so often been portrayed as. Just cool, mm. just confident, just an agent of chaos, mm. just a really fun clown. He can do whatever he wants. And Joker was about saying, like, uh, that's actually, not it's fun really for him. No, yeah. he's actually a really tragic figure. If you do think about it, I don't think the movie really works, but that is the idea behind mm. it. I do think people it's, enjoyed that. Well, it works fine. It's just not terribly sophisticated. Yeah, uh, the way I think a lot of audiences uh, and critics said it was agreed. Um, uh, the, the Wicked Witch of the West, just full bore monster. Well, I think She's, Mar- uh, Margaret Hamilton needed to find some, a way into the character, and that was it. Okay. I guess I think that's what we're going to say because there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about how people don't think they're the villains of their own story. So mm. a lot of people who play villains try to think about like, well, if I'm if I think I'm the hero, what do I think? Mm. And that can lead to some interesting characters. Yeah, I, um, I, got to, I got to interview uh, Brad Dorif once. Oh, that's uh, cool. On, on the set of uh, one of the Chucky movies. Curse of Chucky. Curse of Chucky. Yeah. And, uh, he, Jealous of you. He's cool. He was cool. And yeah, I, there, you can find it on YouTube, actually. I'm interviewing all these people on YouTube. But uh, I, I just was sort of asking about his career and all the different characters he's played. I mentioned, you know, you play some some good characters, some bad characters. Uh, you, I've no, I've looked over your filmography, though, and you do play a lot of heavies. You do play a lot of, like, villains. Mm-hmm. And he came back with, yeah, nobody wakes up saying, I'm going to be a villain today. I, I always have to find, like, a handle into it. So if I'm playing this character, I have to figure out why he started to think that way. And 
this is the sixth Chucky movie. You know, it's about a killer doll that just like takes glee in beating people to death with rulers and shit. Uh, it's it's a pretty silly series, is my point. <laughs> like that first movie's pretty scary. All of the, uh, the uh, sequel's uh, really high octane, but you know, by the time you get to Bride of Chucky, they're just outright comedies. Uh, agreed. I still think two is pretty scary. I think two is pretty scary because they keep it from the kid's perspective, mm. and it's more about like him having this like imaginary friend, and no one believes him that he's yeah. a monster. I think two is the scariest so, one. A lot of people have pointed out that those that those movies are really great because the look on all of Chucky's victims' faces is what the fuck? <laughs> That's the last. Yeah. The, imagine dying confused. Yeah, what, like what, what, I, I'm dying and I don't. What is is that the doll killing me? Like imagine, like a man. It's so random. Like uh-huh. just imagine, like the, you're going about your day and then all of a sudden you realize that your vacuum is alive and it kills you, mm. and that's what you go out on. What? Like you haven't even fully grasped the situation and you're dead. Yeah, it's got it. Uh, but but Brad Dourif said, you know, I asked him, what is that handle for a character like Charles Lee Ray, who is uh-huh. Chucky? And he had to think for a second because I think he'd kind of lost it. He's like, well, I'm just, just playing the character just, for yeah, so long. This is my sixth movie. Natural. I just sort of cackle at this point, and and he says, well. The answer to your question is rage. He's one of those people who just never gets over their anger. And they wield so much anger inside themselves that they are constantly on the brink of committing murder. Yeah. And I think uh, if Margaret Hamilton is really trying to get under the skin of the Wicked Witch of the West... You think rage is the key? It's got to be rage. Hmm. Uh, I don't think there is sort of an inherent sadness... To the Wicked Witch of the Wild. I think she mourns her sister. She, she is upset. Her, but she also mocks the heroes. And, and Well, they killed her sister. Fuck them. But she would have murdered Dorothy right away. Yeah, she, she wasn't have. protected by She those. killed her sister. Yeah. Not a jury in the world would convict her. Because <laughs> she's running half of it. This isn't, isn't that really awful Oz the Great and Powerful movie. Okay, I don't think that movie's is, awful. I do. I, I disagree. There's stuff I, like, there's stuff I like about that movie. Mm, okay. There's something like about it. That's it. I'm right. not going to go into a lot of detail. I I, I don't I don't like the movie at all. But okay. um, you know, where they try to sort of give this tragic backstory to the Wicked Witch of the West because that's now the as a modern audience where we want to come from, where yeah. we want to find sympathy for all of the characters. We want to give screenwriterly motivation to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that sort of thing robs villains of a lot of their. Uh, inherent immediate dramatic power. I don't want to know why Iago wants to kill Othello, that he's spiteful is enough. Mm. Uh, I don't need to know how the witch came to be the witch. She's a witch. She's a little kid monster. That's all you need from the Wicked Witch of the West. Now, I would argue that there is a point. uh, I I think it's maybe the way it was handled was botched, but I think Mm. there is a point in showing us how Darth Vader came to be, because again, there's real world analogs there. It's about fascism. And so the idea, eventually, eventually, but, yes, yeah. but we get there. Uh, yeah, that is, it, it, it took, it took many, many years, and maybe yeah. if they had started, which is why they didn't do the it for a while. Yeah, if they they started, if they had made a prequel to the Wizard of Oz in the early forties, first of all, <laughs> weird. Maybe they would have it would have been a weird idea at the time. <laughs> But, you know, they, they probably would have explored that a little bit more. But, you know, I think it would have been more like a bad seed sort of thing, where she's just bad to the bone from the start. Maybe. Uh, I, I can't imagine it being this weird sort of complex analog for rising fascism in Europe in, like, 1942. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a little bit more depth in some of the, uh-huh. the pulpier or fantastical stories. Like, you look at something like, um, look at something like the sequel to Cat People. 
You ever see the sequel to Cat I, People? Oh, the original Cat People? More Cat People. No, I don't know. I forgot. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the sequel is called. I'm going to look it up for a second. Uh, but the original Cat People, which is which is actually a pretty sophisticated metaphor for uh, a lot of things, including uh, xenophobia and a rejection of old beliefs and why there's a lot of danger to that and the uh, mm. the, the problem with uh, marrying someone because you think you can change yeah. them. and. Um, yeah, and basically just sort of this tacit mm. social and cultural abuse of a woman who is repressing herself because she's afraid of who she could become if she let herself loose. Um, it's actually really, really great. It's a great movie. I hope everyone sees it. Uh, the second one is The Curse of the Cat People. Cur- that's right, Curse of the Cat People. Curse of the Cat People, which was co-directed by Robert Wise. Mm. And uh, it is about how the survivors of the original film, these people who basically screwed over this woman, turned her into a monster, and then they got married. We, uh, They have a daughter who is turning out a lot like the woman who died. Mm. And it's all about them sort of struggling how to deal with someone who they think could turn into someone who is evil, but actually really needs a guiding hand in love. There's some thought there in terms of how people grow and how the way we parent them affects. Mm. So I think I think there's some stuff in there that from the era that does touch upon that kind of thing. Mm. But fair enough. Anyway, we should move on. So they go to the wizard and the wizard says, uh, I will give you everything that you want, provided you bring me the witch's broom, which is a source of her power. Well, and the, well, that's never been established. The implication. Well, it's, it no, it's not the source of her power. It's just something that would be difficult to get. That's it. I thought it was. Does she use it for like all her magic shit? No, I mean she rides it like a witch does. But I don't like. Well, what like a, well like the book doesn't he just it, tell her you have to kill the witch. Uh, Isn't that just it? Like you have to kill the witch, come back, yeah, and yeah, give you everything you want. I'll like Dorothy go home. I'll give you a heart. I'll give you a brain. I'll give you courage. Yeah. Um, so, but here in the movie, that's a little. That's a little fucked up. So they made it so you have to bring me the broom. I feel like the implication is they'll never be able to do no, that. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's like, the idea, because he's a charlatan. I'll, I'll, I'll send you off. Maybe they'll die. On a fool's I'll, errand. I don't have to do it. Yeah, exactly, because he's an asshole. Um, and uh, and they run off to, to storm the castle. Mm. The princess, I'm sorry, Dorothy is immediately kidnapped. <laughs> And held for prison and held prisoner in the castle mm. where she is tormented by the bad guys mm. uh, who yeah. say that they will kill everyone that they know. Chewbacca, Han Solo, and C3PO have to break into the castle by dressing as the guards, which they do in Star Wars. Yeah, right. they do. They just sort of fall into their uh, various uh, marching patterns. Mm. I like that when they get when they beat up the guards and they take the guards' uniforms, mm. everyone gets dressed up. As, they're called Winkies. They get dressed up as these Winkies and they put like some of the Winkies' costuming on Toto too. Yes. Just so that you know he's an official guard dog. I, I also <laughs> cute I really appreciated that they altered Bert Lars hat so like one of his his lion ears is sticking out. Yeah. I thought that was really adorable. It's a lot of really good attention to detail. There's this weird bit when they go off to to like go to find the witch and they're all terrified and um they all have stuff to like help them. They've got like a big mallet and the scarecrow brought a gun. A gun. He's got, he's a, pistol. got a pistol. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he loses it quick. He never uses it, but it's just really funny. Uh, in, in that scene where they're approaching the uh, the woods for the first time, like, yeah. I turn back if I were you. Uh-huh. And no, 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 we're going in. Uh, there was actually a musical number there where the witch the was going to send, yeah, send a monster after them called the Jitterbug. And, and it was the- supposed to be like this weird... 
uh, it's sort of like putting Prince music in a Batman film. Yeah, it was supposed to feel very modern. Yeah, it's supposed to like hip it up a little bit for the kids. Yeah, they they. But it, the production took so long, I think it fell out of favor by the time. Well, they, and also it, the movie was running long, yeah. and they had to cut a bunch of stuff out. What's weird though, you can is, find a recording of it on a lot of the special edition. Yeah, movies. they have the, they have a, a some lost footage of it. Um, but what's weird is that if you pay attention, mm-hmm. they mention the jitterbug. Because when the Wicked Witch sends out her flying monkeys to yeah. kidnap Dorothy and kill all the others if they can, they ri- they they rip the Scarecrow to shreds, much like C-3PO gets ripped apart in Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Um, That's my favorite scene in that movie. I know. <laughs> but uh, when she tells the... It's all in one shot. So she tells the flying monkeys, Go, my pretties! Fly! I'll send an insect monster to distract them for mm-hmm. you! She never does that because <laughs> they cut that scene, but they uh, couldn't cut that line. Right. <laughs> it only had that; they had no coverage for that, I guess, and so they were stuck. It, with it goes by so quick, though. Yeah, I, I bet most people never even thought of it, but it's in there, and it's funny. And uh-huh. there's a lot of things that sometimes mistakes get left in a movie. I remember when uh, everyone was having their hissy fits about uh, the Last Jedi, and how oh we don't like this stuff, we don't like the Laura Dern's got power. And uh, people were just looking for anything in that movie to pick apart. And there's this thing that Ryan Johnson shared. And it's actually just a really funny, cute story from the set. Mm. Where when there's a scene where Laura Dern has to fire a blaster. And apparently every time she fired a blaster, she would go, pew. (laughs) (laughs) Like she couldn't stop doing it. Pew. And 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 the thing is is that they they took her saying it out of the film, but if you look closely, you can see her say it. And people were pointing at it like, this is horrible. No competent filmmaker would ever leave this in the movie. I invite you to watch Star Wars A New Hope and look at the scene where one of the stormtroopers hits his head on a ceiling and they left it in and they added a sound effect. It was an accident, oh, and it was one of the few. Th- I think in the special editions they added the sound effect in to call attention well, to because it. Because people had probably noticed it a lot by then. Funny. Yeah. Sometimes mistakes are funny. Sometimes mistakes are weird. Also, the sound effect thing with the voices apparently that was a huge problem on the prequels. With like you and McGregor, so, whenever he was sword games. fighting, he would be go like. Vroom, vroom. Oh, what do you really? And George Lucas is just yeah. like we we add that in later, you. <laughs> <laughs> We, well, we fact, got that. <laughs> in fact, I, I heard that was also a problem in the opposite direction where uh, Liam Neeson flubbed a line uh-huh. or like he wanted to do another take. Is like, I think I did a weird, like I had a, a tick where like I had an itch on my face. Uh-huh. Can we do another take? And George Lucas said, this is so, going to have so much CGI. We can actually just erase it off your face. And Liam Neeson had to say, no, I'm an actor. <laughs> I don't I want to f- give don't the fix, performance. Don't fix my yeah. acting. Let me let yeah. me fix my yeah. acting. Instead of spending a ton of money to fix it in CGI, let's just wait a minute take. and we'll get it in thirty seconds. Yeah. Uh, I remember hearing a story about Terrence Stamp. Mm. Who, um, he said the reason he did Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace is because he would get to work with Natalie Portman, who mm. was a very you know at the time she was young, but she was already very celebrated as a young actor, and he thought she was really cool, and he wanted to do a scene with her, and. Then he gets to the set, and George, George Lucas is just like, oh, we'll add her in later. You're going to be talking to this tennis ball. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I wanted to wow. act today. So there's there's no real film here, is you there? You need me to be there, is there? <laughs> Damn it. Anyway, uh, they, they break into the castle. They uh, get discovered. It's a whole thing. And... Uh, Turns out that while the Margaret Hamilton is trying to kill the scarecrow with fire, how do you like a little fire scarecrow? Uh, they throw mm. some water mm. on the fire. Some of the water lands on the witch, 
And just like Obi-Wan Kenobi, she dissolves into her cloak. <laughs> yep. That's totally where that image comes from. Um, I never quite got that. Like, water, a small amount of water annihilates her. Mm. Why would you have a bucket of water? Are you doing a lot of nitrate prints? Like, what are you... <laughs> well, it, it, it is on a bridge with a lot of torches, so it's... You know, for fire still, safety, it's, yeah. it's more dangerous to her. She can fly away if shit mm. gets on fire. If she mm. touches water once, she must stink to high hell. But if she touches... She, she's a, she cleans herself by magic, just like J.K. Rowling said. Okay, fair. you know what? Fair enough, I was wrong. But my point is this. Why would you have any water anywhere it's like it's like in uh, that movie van helsing we find out that the only thing that can permanently kill dracula isn't a stake through the heart isn't garlic isn't sunlight it's a werewolf and he keeps one in his basement just in case yeah why (laughs) why would you keep that that's the one thing that can kill you why would you keep it close i remember it's not the godfather uh... for god's sakes keep your enemies is really far away (laughs) Remember a scene from the Alien Nation TV series in, in that the uh, the space aliens, yeah. uh, the Tank Denise, have uh, a weakness to salt water, like it's acid on their skin. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's I like remember, a, a weird detail. In the only that thing series. I remember is that uh, rotten milk is like, like their booze. It's like booze. Yeah. They get drunk on. They get drunk it. on yeah. on sour milk. Uh, but yeah. there was a scene in in the TV series where uh, the main alien and the main human character get into a fight on a dock. It's like, okay, I wouldn't go anywhere near a dock Yeah, in the ocean surrounded by salt water if I were one of the, it's, it's a like, member of that species. It's just fighting over a vat of acid. Yeah. Really I, you know, when the, the village came out and everyone was really, really mad because, like, why would the aliens come to Earth if it's full of water? Oh, you mean the signs, not the village. Oh, you're right. My apologies. Yes. It's mm. late and I'm got it's a diff- I, got, I got the title. Like Shemalan I just yeah. I just spaced and yeah. did their own title. Signs. Mm. Aliens come to Earth. They didn't come to conquer Earth, they came to kidnap people. That's mm-hmm. the stated purpose, they say it in the movie. So, it's not like they want to live in the water planet. But a lot of people are just like, why would they even come here if they're vulnerable to water? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man, people are vulnerable to bullets, but we go to war all the time. <laughs> like, it's a calculated risk. No. There, it was a snatch and grab, man. Like, that, mm-hmm. was, that was it. So, I, but, it's, but this is the witch's house. And it's weird <laughs> just to have... The thing that kills witches, if you touch it once, just uh, in a bucket, where anyone could spill it. Well, Weird. You, know, you, you probably have things that are lethal to you under your sink. You keep those around, right? Well, you know what? You know what? what boils, if somebody throws bleach in your face, it hurts. You know, you know, you know what it just boils down to? Hmm. It's a dream. It, it, it's it's a dream. Yeah. That's it. The, the scene of her, the, the of scene it. of Margaret Hamilton melting is wonderful. It's All so right, cool. it's so great. Uh, John Waters has said that that was the moment he became a filmmaker. It was when <laughs> it was when Margaret Hamilton melted, and she's cheering, "Oh, what a world! Oh, I feel so like it's." She dies in a puddle of self pity, mm. but yeah, she's not like revealing any kind of horrible weaknesses or human qualities as you know she's facing her own doom. Yeah, like, um, look out! I'm going! I'm going! Isn't this sad? Because I'm I'm going! I'm dying! Yeah, not I regret X Y and Z. I regret nothing, yeah. but it sucks that I'm dead. Uh, Anyway, she dies. And, 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 all, and all of the guards that are surrounding them says, you killed her. Oh, thank God. She was She's terrible. Dead. She was terrible to us. She so was all the of, worst. All of the Winkies bow down. Hail Dorothy, the Wicked Witch is dead. You, you killed her. Like, you could have done that at any time. You could have just spritzed some water on her. Yeah, if all it took was a bucket of water. I'm, I'm guessing it's not something she told her guards. Okay, that may be true. 
<laughs> that might be the case. I guess that you know, and that would actually poke holes in my problem because uh, if she said, "I don't allow water in my building ever," that might raise a few eyebrows and give him an idea. It's like, yeah, let let me uh, hand it off to my works monkey. Works monkey, make sure they don't keep any water under my bedroom. You know that's sort of <laughs> it's a Smithers as a monkey. Um, a <laughs> Smithers monkey. Anyway, so they go back uh, uh, to the throne room. Mm. of the wizard where they all get their medals just like at the end of Star Wars mm. but uh, the difference is that the wizard <laughs> is going to be a dick about it mm. <laughs> he sends them home like oh I didn't think you could do that <laughs> um, give me a day I'll figure something out uh. and then Toto pulls off the curtain and there's something to be said for this ending and I think it's another thing that it relates to The Last Jedi as well where if you were going off of face value the revelation that this incredible, giant, floating head, all-powerful wizard is just some guy mm-hmm. might be a real letdown. I'm sure it was a real letdown to Dorothy and the Tim and everyone because they realized, mm-hmm. oh shit, we might not get the stuff that we wanted. But there's something really dramatically satisfying about pulling back the curtain and finding out what's actually going on and sort of humanizing things. Mm-hmm. And so like when we found out that Ray's parents were nobody, which of course now we find out that they were uh, somebody who chose to be nobody. So stupid. That's Look, a terrible line. That's a terrible I, line. That's worse than Obi Wan Kenobi going from a certain point of view. Like I, the, uh, I yeah, I I lied, but from a certain point of view, I didn't. Uh, well, let's, that's okay. not the same thing. If we were to that, this this let's tie this into to uh, Wizard of Oz and Star Please. Wars. Um, if we were to take Luke Skywalker as the Dorothy analog and how Dorothy lives with her aunt, and uh, Luke also lives with his aunt. We don't learn anything about their parent. We only learn a little bit about Luke's parentage, and we know nothing about Dorothy's parents. Yeah. Actually, uh, my theory when I was watch- I was rewatching it, and I uh, was like, where the hell do we have? Because Auntie M and Uncle Henry aren't in Oz. Right. And I figured that's because it's her dream. Mm-hmm. She has all of her friends there, and, yeah, and her enemy there, but she's so disappointed in Uncle Em and Aunt Henry because they were willing to give away her dog, and she didn't see the part where they felt really bad about it. Yeah. So she's probably just mad at them, so they don't have an analog. In my head, Glinda's her mom. Like, if we saw, like, oh, okay. if yeah. we saw, like, her nightstand, we see a picture of her mom, and it would look and like Billy, Billy Burke. Burke. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's my theory, Anna. Right. Uh, that's a good theory. Yeah. Good, good as any. Um, but, yeah, the idea is that they ha- that both Dorothy and Luke have the uh, whole series of Airsat's parent figures mm-hmm. because Dorothy has his uh, Dorothy has her aunt. Uh, she has uh, Glinda who sort of looks over her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has the Wicked Witch in a way, in a weird way. In, in a weird she's way. abusive, but, and then you know. and then of course there's like her best friend Professor Marvel, aka mm-hmm. the Wizard. Yeah. So she has like these multiple figures who are sort of standing in for her parents. Or at least the adults in her life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Luke has the same thing. He has an aunt and uncle, just like Dorothy. Mm-hmm. He's got this kooky old guy out in the in the, the desert, mm-hmm. which is Obi-Wan. That's kind of also his father figure. He's got this villain who's deeply this, this connected villain to him. This villain who yeah. will, it, it'll be repurposed later as his actual father, but yeah. kind of stands as sort of this abusive father figure in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, Darth Vader is actually like Gaelic for dark father anyway. Uh, it's my understanding that's actually a coincidence, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the words are words. Uh-huh. A lot of words, lots, words, words don't have meaning. There weren't, um, there weren't a lot of syllables aren't there that aren't a word somewhere. <laughs> I suppose so. It's two syllables in a row. Snuh. <laughs> S-N-U-H is it's not a word in any language. Um, I'm looking it up right now. No, that's actually a, a Simpsons joke. Uh, okay. Sorry. And, uh, but there's also... Um, 
It's literally the Simpsons definition. Is what comes but uh, there's also his actual father. Like, before we learned that Darth Vader was his father, we learned that Darth Vader actually killed his father. So there was this mysterious missing father figure mm-hmm. in, in Luke Skywalker's life. At least as far yeah. as he knows. So, so they each have this sort of myriad of parental figures who kind of emerge out of their adventure. Yeah. Uh, and I think the the fact that so many of these famous characters are orphaned is... I, it's a result of, you know, what, what was going on at the time in the Depression, and especially mm-hmm. in, like, Kansas also, and the also, Dust Bowl. Also post-World War One, yeah, probably be Yeah, a, exactly. Lot a lot of people yeah. were sort of victims of the war. They were victims of famine. They were yeah. victims of poverty. Maybe they just couldn't look after Dorothy and foisted her off on the aunt and uncle who actually right. had a farm. Uh, it, it's hard to say, but, you know, this, this idea of missing parents... Kind of runs through a lot of fairy tales. Well, it gives, it gives Disney hero, latched onto that shit like it, crazy. It gives the hero something to look for. Yeah. Something yeah. that they don't have. Mm. They need to leave home in order to find this thing that they don't have. Mm. But my point Literally is, if in, in, uh, in The Wizard of Oz, she's missing all of these things from her life, but she actually has them all. All of her yeah. friends were there on the farm. She has these parent figures on the farm. She you know, absconded with her dog. She even has like kindly strangers who look after her. She's pretty well taken care of. It's not an exciting place, yeah. but she, she has all of the emotional connections and the family that she needed. You and you and you were there. There's no place like home. That was the message of, mm-hmm. of Loser Maz. It's, uh, it's and, not a message that applies to everyone's home. No, it's definitely not. It's important to remember the that there's some of, people have really horrible households and they should leave. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and you know, there's sort of a dark mirror to this in a film like Penn's Labyrinth, yeah. where she escapes into a fantasy world, but the fantasy world is dark and weird and terrifying because her and actual life is her dark actual and weird home and terrifying. Life, yeah, yeah, like her her exactly. stepfather is a little literal warlord. Um, in revealing that Darth Vader was an actual father to Luke undoes that that he's actually able to find a new family because his last family is no longer important to him this is something that I was really frustrated with in uh, Rise of Skywalker is that Ray had found a family had found yeah, a surrogate yeah. family it, it, and in the well, end I mean, they just repeated the Luke story in a lot well, of ways in a, in a lot of ways although Luke I just realized this while we were talking like Luke kind of became the Wizard of Oz because it was all right, about finding right. him and then he immediately dashed her expectations and was an asshole about it uh-huh. um and then, of course, at the end, he's a hologram. But uh, Force Ghost, whatever. But she oh, finds her surrogate family, and at the end, mm. it's not the surrogate family that the movie claimed mattered. Mm. It's A, her genes, you're a Palpatine, and that's going to define you. Mm-hmm. And then when she says, no, I am not defined by the past, I'm defined by Luke Skywalker's past. <laughs> I'm going to call myself Sky- Ray yeah. Skywalker because of that guy I knew for a day. Also, she, the, the, also some people say like, oh, well, she was also uh, taught by Leia for a long time. Yeah, Leia didn't take the name Skywalker. Skywalker was the guy who tortured her in episode four. Also, Leia never went to Tatooine except for that one time where she got tortured and like put in a gold bikini by Jabba the Hutt. Oh, that's right. That was back on the same planet. Luke didn't want to go back to Tatooine either. Everyone fucking hated Tatooine. There is not, there's no place like home for Tatooine. (laughs) Everyone wants to fucking leave Tatooine. It's the worst place in the universe. This this is why I think it's, it's not a, Star Wars is not about a journey of self-discovery mm. it's a, a a story about doing stuff uh, <laughs> and a lot of stuff happens in the wizard of oz yes but the ultimate conclusion is uh 
I, I, her goal is to go back home. Yeah. She is lost in this weird... Dorothy. Dorothy is. Yeah. She's lost in this weird nightmare world. She needs to get back home. Uh, at first, because she's really homesick and she realized this is a weird land where she doesn't belong. And it's full of strangers and dangers and it, she doesn't know what's going on. But through that journey, she learns that, you know, what she had was back at the start. That's very Joseph Campbell-y and we'll yep. talk about Joseph Campbell at some point eventually. Yeah. The sort of cycle that the hero go, returns home that goes all the way back to Gilgamesh. Uh, the oldest story known to man currently. We haven't mm-hmm. discovered one older. And uh, Doesn't mean it's one of the good ones. Maybe it was the, the whole, worst book of its era, but by God, it's out but there. But it's the one we have. And you know what? It is a good story. <laughs> I know. I just but, think it's... Sometimes I think about that, where it's like, it's like ah, This Beowulf. is the one we have. Beowulf yeah. has lasted throughout all these years. Maybe Beowulf was the worst book of yeah, that maybe, era. Maybe but Beowulf was like the trash, and that just, just by coincidence just is the one happened. that came down Like, to imagine... Us. Imagine... I, I think about this sometimes. Like, imagine movies all die out. Only one movie survives into the and, future. And the future <laughs> like, a thousand years from now, the only movie movie that survives mm. is Boat Trip. Yeah. <laughs> or Kazam. Or yeah, something. or just something yeah. just really shitty and bad. Mm. But it's all we have, and so we look into it, and we search it for meaning, and maybe we can find some, we can uncover some things about the reality of the world, but I'm just like, no! Please! <laughs> save Moonlight! Or, or save... Save a or, good movie. Or yeah. save, I don't know... Tree of Life or Tree something. Tree of Life <laughs> or something, or Citizen Kane, or Do the Right Thing. Mm. Something, some good movie, please! But if it's all we have, anyway, how do we know? But anyway, I just the, think the, about the idea of the Wizard of Oz is that the journey is the point. It's not the destination. Yeah. Getting to the Emerald City and actually, you know, killing this witch and you know, getting what she wants from the wizard isn't the point of the Wizard of Oz. It's yeah. she had to go through all of this to realize that she already had it. Yeah. Uh, at the end of Gilgamesh, or at the end of the Epic of Gilgamesh, the idea is he lost his best friend, Gilgamesh did, and he's it, completely despondent that Enkidu is is gone. And so he goes on this uh, this journey to say, well, death shouldn't happen. I've heard of this land far, far away where we can have this uh, uh, this water of life. And mm-hmm. you drink it and you just you never die. Yeah. And he goes on this long journey and he gets it. Gets this water of life. And then he just kind of drops it on the road and leaves it behind. Yeah. Like he doesn't drink it right away. It's not what I want anymore. Yeah, it's like I, I, I fulfilled the quest and I understood that questing is kind of the important thing. Yeah. That's not true in Star Wars. No, I don't think that's it's, the he, case. Luke yeah. doesn't doesn't discover something like he becomes kind of a different person. You know, at the yeah. beginning he's kind of shy and kind of doesn't really because just knows he wants to get away from that. And, 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 and he's like, I, I could yeah. take on the Empire myself. Mm. But at the end, he just he gets a medal. From well, at the end of the first movie, he gets from, a medal because he because he did princess. it. He did exactly he, what. He, the first he, Star Wars is, in many respects, a wish fulfillment fantasy, right down to killing my aunt and uncle and, who were getting can, in my way. I can kind of understand that. And when you compare yeah. The Wizard of Oz to something like Star Wars, yeah. uh, why uh, critic Pauline Kael, and I quoted this already, that uh, she said that Star Wars was a box of Cracker Jacks with nothing but prizes. Yeah. There's no self discovery, there's no big change. Which is one of the reasons why, for example, I like The Last Jedi because it felt like there was some self-discovery. Yeah, there's, there's actually there's some self-discovery. Yeah, there's Rey some is actually a character re- who was looking re- for yeah. herself out there. Luke kind of knew who he was. Mm. He just didn't have what he wanted, which was very external. And I did like that there was this big change in Luke in that movie where he turned into sort of this bitter old man or th- that sort of idealism didn't work out for him and he turned into this hermit. So I, thought, many people I thought that was a really interesting So many people were offended by that because Even they felt Hamill. that uh, because Mark w- Hamill took issue with that depiction no, of the character. That, that got, I, I think they got blown out of proportion because he, he just said that's not what I thought was going to happen yeah. and first they issue but then he likes it. Like it's just, it was a surprise. He, he came around to it. But it was yeah. a surprise. 
It was, it's, it's not what we expected to happen. Mm-hmm. But what we expect to happen so the, isn't what should happen all the time. The, the Last Jedi is actually a little bit more of a, a an analog to the Wizard of Oz because mm-hmm. by the end of that, they kind of they lose everything. Yeah. That's the end of the war. The rebels lost at the end of that movie. They had yeah. to make another movie, I guess, because they have to come in threes for some reason. Mm-hmm. But uh, they uh, they kind of concluded the whole Star Wars story with that movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they concluded I think all the, uh, everything that had come before, and, and the left, idea like, was there's, there really does need to be a new generation to come. Well, uh, but the idea at the end of that movie is okay. You know, the Empire is just powerful. Evil will push back, mm-hmm. and if you provoke them too much which we've been doing for literally generations Mm -hmm. they're just going to keep pushing back harder and harder and harder until they kill us all so you know what we just got to disperse and understand that the the rebellions will rise again yeah and we're going to the stories that we have just taken part of will inspire others the 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 rebels that as we know them have come to an end Uh and yeah and there's kids out there that still have force powers and we're gonna we're okay i disagree with your defeatist view of the end of that movie but i agree that the movie is more nuanced people give it credit for i I think i think the good guys lost but the idea is there's always going to be hope and i think that was a good place to leave it yeah Okay. Anyway, we'll and, talk and about it. was more satisfying because the good guys always won in the past. It was anyway. a little bit of a change up, but uh, anyway, but Dor- everybody we, had discoveries about themselves. Is my point. Yeah, uh, no. Let's let's wrap this up. So sorry. Dorothy, uh, uh, the 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 wizard gives everyone not what they wanted, but reveals that they already had it. Mm. Like, hey, Scarecrow, you're really really smart. The problem is you don't well, realize it. Mm. So here's a diploma to prove it. Yeah. That's it. That's the self-discovery. Yeah. Like, hey, Tin Man, you know, it's not really, you, you don't have a heart. It's not that you don't love people. It's that you don't appreciate that people love you. So I'm going to give you a symbol of love. Here is a clock. Uh, a testimony. A clock in the shape of a heart. And that could be your ticking heart if you really, really love symbolism. And he's like, yeah, love symbolism. Great. And um, and the lion gets a medal that says courage on it. Why? Because he got courage, man. He did all this. Not being afraid isn't the important thing. It's go- it's plowing through your fear when it's important. You got that. Here. Now you can look at this whenever you, you have, you're insecure. Mm. Boom. And then uh, we got to take Dorothy home. Okay, well, I guess I'll get in my balloon. But he doesn't know how the balloon works, so he just flies away. I can't like, come back. I don't know how it works. Come on, folks. The Wizard of Oz is the title character, and he sucks so much. <laughs> I love that so I am the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. <laughs> you are... Um, and then it turns out Glinda says you have the power within you all along. Mm. Do the slipper thing. She does the slipper thing. She's back home. You were there. You were there. Mm. It's great. <sighs> really good movie. Excellent. And entirely One influential. <laughs> and just like everything everywhere has ripped off The Wizard of Oz. Mm. Much like everything everywhere now has ripped off Star Wars. And I'm it's- sure there will come a day... When it looked for a minute like the Matrix was going to be that thing, and I don't think it is, but there will be another thing mm-hmm. that is so new, even if it's an adaptation of something, that is so new, that is so fresh, that is so distinctive, and really keys into a wavelength that everyone gets around, that it will become the next thing that everyone rips off. But we only get them every decade or mm-hmm. few. Like, we don't have a lot that are just this level of ripped up. When think, like, I think about like these key movies... Uh, where you could remove them and film history changes dramatically because oh. their influence is so uh, huge. So The Wizard of Oz is one of them. Yeah. Maybe Casablanca would be mm. another one, for it, example. I would say Alien. Uh, Alien, maybe. Halloween is another one of those. Halloween, yeah. Star Wars, obviously. We're, yeah, look, look, we have a whole podcast about it. Um, but there's only so many that have this giant sweeping influence. And The Wizard of Oz 
is absolutely one of those. It connects to everybody. It still works today. Much like the original Star Wars, yes, some of the visual effects are better than others now, but Mm -hmm. it all contributes to this one really unified world, which is bizarre considering how fucked up the production was. Mm -hmm. How people got injured and people got recast and they changed directors Lots of times, like, <laughs> oh no, the, we changed directors once on Solo. Hmm. So Wizard of Oz is over here just smoking a cigarette. <sighs> Hold my beer. Did I ever tell you about Q-Core? That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. Hmm. Um, anyway, if you've never seen Wizard of Oz, we just ruined it for you. Uh, but if you haven't <laughs> seen it in a while, rewatch it. It holds up so good. It really yeah, is. It's, it's a real treat. It's, it's a really amazing film. Uh, yeah. it, I mean, it... It, it it's such an important part of film history. It's it's I can't really. This is one of the few films I can't imagine the world without it. I can imagine you removing Alien. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I I can imagine. And a lot of people say, oh, how could you change the casting on something? How could you change somebody? How could you have somebody other than Harrison Ford play Han Solo? That's his role. Well, it is now. Yeah, because they gave it to in him. 1976 when they were making the movie. It wasn't yet. Anybody could have played that role. There's probably numerous actors who could have done just as good if not better than Harrison Ford in that role we came really close to Sissy Spacek being Princess Leia she would have been great she would have been fine yeah maybe a slightly different movie but not not necessarily a worse movie maybe even a better movie who's to say they were tempted to cast Orson Welles as the voice of Darth Vader he would have been amazing that would have been great yeah and would have been really fun now because now they would have had Maurice LaMarche play him that's right they just got (laughs) Maurice LaMarche to do the voice again (laughs) I was talking yeah, about yeah, uh, yeah, some Orson Welles. Someone, I, I was pitching my idea for a Muppet Star Wars again. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know I talk about this a lot, and someone was like, "Who do you cast?" And I talked a lot about people we've talked about before. Mm. You know, Rolf is Obi Wan, and uh, Kermit is Han Solo, and I was trying to think of some of the other characters, and I finally figured out who should play Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. It's Hayden Christensen in the suit, but it's Pepe the Prawn's voice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to use the force on you, okay? <laughs> I find your lack of faith disturbing, okay? Doesn't <laughs> oh, that just make you happy yeah, yeah. just thinking about that? <laughs> so great. Anyway, that's episode zero for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with another timeless classic. This is another movie that influenced not only Star Wars, but pretty much every visual effects spectacular that followed it, mm. probably including Wizard of Oz. It is the original special effects classic, King Kong. It is a movie that, in some respects, has aged quite poorly. But the bullet points of it and the technical craft and the way that it pushed the industry forward, much like Wizard of Oz, is absolutely undeniable. And we will be having a really good time having a long, complicated uh, conversation about King Mm -hmm. Kong and its legacy. I cannot wait. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you are interested and have the means, we sure would love to have you over at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a ton of exclusive content over there. We talked a lot in this episode about our podcast, Only the Best, where we review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. Uh, we're currently on the year 1938, but we have a whole backlog for you to dive into if you want to sign up for that. We also have uh, shows like Not on Disney Plus, where we talk about uh, mostly TV movies and miniseries that should be on Disney Plus, but for some reason or another are not. Uh, we have podcasts dedicated to Star Trek. We have podcasts dedicated to Firefly. We have commentary tracks. Tons of stuff. We hope you enjoy it. We sure would love to have you over there. Uh, we also have a Facebook page if you want to join us over there, too. 
Um, and you can write in letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. You want to talk about this episode? You want to talk about another episode that we did of any other podcast? You just want to ask us a question? You want to ask our opinion on something? You want to take us to task for something if you think our interpretation of something is wrong? We'd love to hear from you. We love having these conversations. Mm-hmm. In any case, thank you, everybody, for joining us. We appreciate uh, uh, your ears. We appreciate your interest. Um, and uh, may the force be stuff. Ah!